This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. It's Tuesday and that means it's time for a crack strategy panel. Yesterday, Ottawa announced it will begin talks with the provinces about providing all working Canadians with 10 days of paid sick leave. That was the NDP's price for agreeing to a schedule for parliamentary sittings. And my question is, if they can't agree in Parliament on something straightforward like a schedule, good luck getting the provinces on board for sick leave, figuring out who will pay and how it will be administered. Meanwhile, the outrage continues over the party scene at Trinity Bellwoods Park on the weekend. Uh, are we calling it Bellwoods Gate? And the outrage over the airlines refusing to refund cash for canceled trips is growing with advocates arguing that the Liberal government is simply allowing airlines to break the law. We'd like to hear from you, 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And now I'd like to welcome John Capobianco, Senior Vice President and Senior Partner, Fleischman Hillard High Road, Karen Stintz, who is the CEO of Variety Village and a former Toronto City Councillor, as well as Charles Bird, Managing Principal of Earnscliff Strategy Group in Toronto. Hello and welcome, everybody. Hi. Hey, Libby. How's Hi, Libby. everyone doing with the gorgeous weather? <laughs> Watching it from inside with uh, with fondness. <laughs> <laughs> with the air conditioning. <laughs> I'll be uh, hosting a party with thousands of young millennials in my backyard in the next week or two. Just like to extend an invitation to everyone. <laughs> okay, that sounds good. Can I come? <laughs> Where I thought I saw you at Trinity. Just wear a mask. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so let's start with this. Paid sick leave. I mean, it, it seems like, uh, um, uh, you know, it, are they serious about doing it? And Quebec is up in arms that that they're encroaching on uh, their jurisdiction. And you've got 10 provinces and uh, a big question about how such a thing would not only be done, but administered. I, I would say, Libby, that, you know, the, the challenge here is, you know, this is the prime minister's desperation in, in, in many ways to try to keep parliament limited uh, and, and a way to try to get the NDP on side. Uh, it was smart for the NDP and smart for Jagmeet Singh to be able to say to the prime minister, look, if you want my support to keep the parliamentary sessions the way they are, in other words, not, not to, uh, not to uh, cave into the conservatives wanting more parliamentary sessions, then here's my, uh, here's my deal. I want 10 uh, you know, sick days to be applied so the prime minister, I think, quite smartly and strategically said, "Sure, I'll, I'll do that." Not knowing, of course, that he's going to have some some challenges with the provinces. And I know that Quebec will always, you know, will always um, complain and or or you know not 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 fall into uh, into the federal government's you know um, wide ranging issues uh, on a regular basis, especially on something like this that is that is a provincial jurisdictional issue. But you've got Ontario and Alberta and you see others that already have some 
amendments to the Labor Acts that, that allow for, for sick days uh, now, and now, now you're asking them to increase that. And, and again, it, the details, the devil's in the details. Who's going to pay for it? How are they going to be paying for it? Um, but I think it was all a political move to try to get the Prime Minister to win his battle on the parliamentary sessions. Right. Well, exactly, Karen, but it also seems like a very high price for, I mean, something that is, you know, frankly, inside baseball. Yeah, it is inside baseball, and I, I think the this issue will pass. Um, however, it'll it'll get managed through. But but I, I think the concerning thing for Canadians is that um, that that these get these requests get tacked on to every Liberal bill because fundamentally it is as the economies start to reopen, it's already difficult to reopen you to reopen and we're not even able to reopen and uh, understandably there is restrictions and we need to comply with them but already it's going to cost me more to reopen i'm going to have less revenue to reopen i'm taking precautions and, and measures to keep my employees sick and if they get sick at my workplace because of protocols that haven't been followed then they're subject to i'm subject to a workplace safety and insurance board claim um but if they get sick because they go to trinity bellwoods now i have to pay for that as well well, so it, it, exactly. You know, it, it, it becomes challenging. As so, this one is a one-off, and it'll get dealt with. But, but, but the risk is that if these continue to pile up as a condition for how Parliament's going to function, and it's impacting businesses and more and more and more, then it just makes it that much harder for us to reopen and get to where we need to be. Yeah, I mean, you know, p- people should be covered for you know if if somehow you know their work. Uh, cause this. But you're right, if they go to Trinity Bellwoods, or if they self isolate, because uh, they had a, a, you know, an adult child who was vacationing somewhere, come home, uh, you know, why should the employer have to pay for that? Charles? Yeah, but let's let's uh, clarify a couple of things. First off, um, the premiers and the prime minister have been talking about this for several weeks. This is really a response to something that the premiers themselves flagged as a significant issue. In fact, it was BC Premier John Horgan who first brought up the issue, and it was immediately taken up by premiers. Second, it obviously comes with really, really tricky jurisdictional questions, because this clearly falls within the domain of provincial jurisdiction. And I'm not terribly surprised that Quebec is reacting the way it is. But the reality is that COVID has blurred the lines between what is federal and what is provincial. And it's really now about trying to figure out how to address immediate short-term needs, one of which is the fact that frontline workers are having to decide whether to stay home if they're feeling symptoms of COVID or whether, having used up their sick days, they have to go to work when they're sick. And that's unacceptable, and that's stupid. That, that is unacceptable. That is unacceptable. Um, absolutely. But uh, it, it's also a, you know, a question of how do you even um, mandate this? Is it the private sector that has to pay? I mean, I just you know, don't get the whole thing, because it, it has been pointed out that the only way to make this happen is if uh, Ottawa cuts a check. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's true. Of, that's true of uh, a great many things yes, these that's days. True. This is the reality of COVID, and this is why we're going to end up with a massive budgetary deficit for 2020, 2021. 
But the reality <laughs> is that... <laughs> and 2022 and 2023 and you know, in, in fairness, the debt, the debt will obviously be impacted, but, you know, it is, it's, it's a sincere hope that, you know, once we are past this, hopefully by late 2021, early 2022, that deficit numbers will rebound significantly as revenues increase, as a lot of the spending we've been seeing um, simply ceases to be necessary to combat the, uh, the extent of the crisis that we're facing right now. So is this, uh, before we move on to another subject, is this actually going to happen? Is this thing going to get done? Karen? I don't think it will. Um, I, I think that the, the Prime Minister made a concession so he could get what he wanted. And, uh, you know, like any good smart politician, he'll consult this thing to death until it dies on a vine. John? Because that's what most people do. That's what most politicians do when they don't really want to deal with an issue. They just send it out for consultation. Yeah. Forever. I think, I think the, the fact that, that most provinces already have in place, um, Alberta actually has a more, more aggressive uh, a plan on, on, on when it comes to um, sick days. But I think the fact that once the, the, the federal government wants all the provinces to sort of be in line with something, as we saw with the health accord back in the day, um, now again, as, as Charles mentioned, this is COVID and it's a whole different ballgame and, and there's no rules in some ways. But I think on this issue, most provinces will say, you know what, leave it to us. We've got our own plan in place. Uh, and, um, uh, and I think that it'll, it'll be lost in some shuffle over the course of other things. And uh, as the Prime Minister mentioned today, the farming and long-term care uh, issues are going to continually be something that, that uh, remain top of mind for, for a lot of Canadians. Um, I think this is one that will be negotiated, and, and I'm not sure I can't see provinces all jumping in line to say that they'll, uh, they'll move up their uh, sick days to 10. Uh, let's take a call from Simone in Brampton. You want to talk about this sick leave. Hi, Simone. Hi, how are you? Fine, how are you? Good. Um, being a union member, and I know there's been changes lately to Canadian, um, to the provincial uh, or to the federal uh, labor laws where they've added the five days, three paid to unpaid uh, to the employees that was just added not long ago. But when you're, uh, will this be a federal regulated or provincial? And how will that affect unionized? Um, employees, will they be able to have this or would it be whatever is better, this or the collective agreement? Um, and the reason why I'm asking is it's easy to say, oh, you can have 10 six paid days, but sure, they have to go through some kind of justification through your employer while you're taking them. Uh, they they have eventually the final, yeah, uh, it's uh, I can see why you need the 10 days or you don't. So uh, how would that work? Well, uh, Simone, you ask a very good question among some very other very, <laughs> very good questions, which is which is why uh, our panel doesn't think this thing will ultimately get done because it's just too complicated. And that's exactly, is it, right. is your workplace federal or provincially regulated? Are you a unionized worker or are you a non-unionized worker? How many sick days do you get now? Uh, so, uh, it, you, you asked some very good questions and, you know, I, I, I think that it would take long beyond hopefully what the pandemic lasts to sort these things out. But uh, I think you've underscored problem. Thanks for your call, Simone. Uh, anytime and have a great day and stay well and stay safe, everyone. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay, moving right along. Uh, so outrage seems to be growing over the airlines are refusing to refund cash they have for uh, trips that were canceled. 
And I have not read the fine print, but I have heard advocates say that the law is clear that you have to refund uh, in kind the same. You have to make a refund that's the same as how the thing was paid for. Uh, So how are they getting away with this if that's the case? Who wants to weigh in? Well, I think think Libby, I'm just going to say that um, this is the kind of issue that drives people crazy because um, we don't have a lot of airlines in our country, uh, so there's not a lot of competition uh, with respect to uh, to travel, and and, uh, and that causes a lot of consternation of a lot of folks. So, you know, you got Air Canada there, who um, is, the, I guess, the majority of folks, but I, I would also say some of the other more vacation-related airlines as well. But, you know, Given given the situation that people were stranded and people had to cancel because of something that was beyond that was beyond their control, um, you know, I, I would say that it would be it behoove airlines or the airline to be able to give back where they can uh, in order to build up the goodwill. The, the challenge here with government is, of course, is that because we only have one or two major airlines, um, they can't afford for any of them to go under, uh, and and so they're trying to, ha- to sort of walk this fine line with, yes, understanding people's grievances with respect to getting money back for flights that were cancelled, but also making sure that they don't sort of, you know, legislate airlines to, to, to man- mandate them to, to give money back because it could very well bankrupt them. Well, that is, that is the line, but uh, I gather Air Canada has something like uh, five five billion dollars on the books. Yeah, um, you know, and again, just, you know, my my small experience with Variety Village, you know, when you're running a company and your cash and your revenues drop to zero, um, your reserves are managing you through this time. And, you know, I know that my reserves need to get me through to maybe December. Um, Air Canada is looking at a longer picture that their revenues may not ever return or certainly not in the next five years to the degree that they that they had. So not only are they looking at uh, passenger refunds, they're also looking at employee severances, and that's a significant liability. And so they're they're looking at their their what they have and what they um, are obligated to. And it, I imagine it's it's very alarming. And as John was saying, it could easily put the airline into a bankruptcy situation if they had to refund all that cash. Um, and would impair their ability to continue on. Well, I think now, their if, liabilities if the are a major bailout. Maybe that's one of the conditions uh, in that those people that had flights canceled that they get refunds instead of credits. But um, I, I think it is a very, very difficult situation for the airlines right now. Uh, Charles, I mean, I gather that the, their liabilities in terms of refunding tickets are half of their reserves. So, uh, what's your take on this? Well, I'm reminded of my old friend Abraham Lincoln, who said that sometimes you have to uh, give up a limb to save a life, but it's rarely a good idea to give up a life in order to save a limb. And that is kind of the situation we're facing with Canadian Airlines, which is to say they are in some very dire straits. And as we've seen in the case of some major corporations that have been around decades, if not more than 100 years, you know, two, three, four months of really downward cash flow, and they're declaring bankruptcy. And we cannot afford that for Canadian airlines. I know just this morning, Porter Airlines, you know, which is well-known and well-loved in the city of Toronto, has just announced it will delay resumption of its service till July 29th, and that's at the earliest. And 
in terms of you know the whole notion of how people are willing to fly, if airlines take out the middle seat as is strongly advised, then that means their aircraft can fly at maximum seventy percent capacity, and that it is not a viable business model for airlines. And the other huge problem that's out there, of course, is the fact that no one wants to get on an airplane at the moment unless they absolutely have to. And so the situation facing airlines is dire. And it's just, it may be a concession we have to make. Let's hear from Siva. Hi, Siva. Hello, Libby. My, my brother-in-law is 92 years old, and this was supposed to be his last trip overseas. He had a flight booked for March the 23rd. Well, Air Canada refused to give him back his money. Everybody is saying, oh, Air Canada will suffer. What about the poor people, you know? They're no different to the guys who scam the elderly. They just do it legally. Well, we're not sure it's legal, actually. Siva, I'm not sure it's legal. I I think the law says they have to refund the money. They're not doing it. And that's terrible. Yeah, I mean, you know, he's 92. He's feeble. We were even saying to him, you shouldn't travel anymore. But he wanted to go for the last time. And now they say, well, they can't give him back his money. Well, what are they going to do with it? Why is it that everybody always thinks that the poor people should take the loss and these big executives make a fortune, you know? I couldn't even get him to take WestJet. Air Canada was his life, you know? And you think they would be at least considerate and give him back his money. Well, Siva... A lot of people feel like you do, and I think I think there will be more to come on this because uh, it's. Uh, yeah. I think the government should say to Air Canada, give the people their money back because Air Canada is going to go to the government anyway, and we're going to be paying the bill. <laughs> Siva, <laughs> you have got it on the money. Thanks for your call. I mean, uh, you know. Uh, Lots of people in in Siva's situation. I know on Thursday we're going to be talking to a a bride. You know, I've heard of entire Air Canada vacation destination weddings, fifty k, and they're out the money. So it's it's a it's a lot of money, and and she's right. How much money does Kevin Kalen Rovinescu make? What is it? Five million bucks a year? Well, and how much money does Air Canada get on a regular basis? Right, and I think. The, the issue, too, and, and, and in some cases, sort of post-COVID, uh, Libby, you know, companies that, that how they perform in this last, during this crisis, during this pandemic, will be reflective of how the goodwill of consumers when this is over and there's a new normal, uh, and they get to pick and choose whether or not they go to a Loblaws or a Sobeys or whether or not they go to, a, you know, a Mr. Submarine or, a, you know, whatever. There's, there's a lot of choices out there, and, and how companies handle themselves during this period will show a lot of goodwill with customers, I think, post-COVID. The challenge with an airline is you don't have much choice. Yeah, you don't, exactly. Day, and you're going to have less choice afterwards. Right? Yep. I mean, it's, it's uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, we, we understand that they're in a tough situation, but, but you know, <laughs> even in that situation, they could be taking advantage. And, and it's, this is exactly the kind of thing that, that really upsets people, especially people who, you know, like uh, Siva's brother-in-law saves up, he's 92, it was going to be his last overseas trip. I, I mean, you hear these kinds of things all the time, or it's somebody's wedding that's canceled. I mean, you know, uh, it, it's you know, the human toll. I'm, and, and people don't love airlines to begin with, do they? 
<laughs> no, I'm not usually one to defend Air Canada. That is true. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, uh, Calvin Roganescu made $11.5 million in 2019, just for the record. Oh, but thank he did you take for a pay look- cut. He did announce his pay cut today. <laughs> <laughs> that was good of him. $11.9 million. Oh, my God. 11.5. Eleven point five. Speaking, he only got one point four in salary, but then there was option-based awards of five point six million, pension value of one million, and a bonus of three point five million. A bonus, okay. A bonus. I wonder if he gets an extra bonus for not refunding the customers and keeping the cash. That's his bonus. <laughs> Let's hear from Jan in Guelph. Hi, Jan. Hello, I'm back again, uh, Libby. Uh, to me, uh, things aren't always black and white. To me, but this is black and white. Um, these people paid the money uh, to go somewhere. Air Canada got it. They need the money to take these people, people to wherever they're going. They're not going to take the people to wherever they're going, so they don't need the money, so they should return it. <laughs> that's how I look at it, and that's, that's what they should do. Yeah, that's Jan, worth $11.5 million in salary. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Jan. Oh. I, I think a lot of people agree with Jan. They agree with Siva. Uh, you know, the situation for airlines notwithstanding. I mean, I think that after this, the age of where it, travel has really been pretty easy and relatively affordable for so long, I think that's over. I agree. Yeah, the other piece of it is, you know, if what Air Canada is doing is that they're allowing customers of cancelled flights due to COVID to either get a travel voucher or to um, receive bonus aeroplan miles. And either way, it requires the the customer who's already paid money to get back on an airplane at some point. Um, But at the same time, Air Canada has pledged for what it's worth to reduce fares for summer travel. Um, and hopefully lower oil prices will mean less aviation fuel costs and, you know, somehow well, and come they, out of the mix. They announced first that some of those vouchers were really prohibitive in terms of the timing, so they've extended the time right. on some of it. Not sure that will help a 92-year-old. And, you know, Aeroplan, I have to tell you that it's been 20 years since I found a relatively convenient even domestic flight weeks in advance on air canada and if if i don't want to change planes three times to go to vancouver uh i pay cash maddening i agree with you 100 percent, libby so it's um we have a few minutes left let's move on to bellwoods gate (laughs) Uh, is, is this is this the right approach. I mean, I, I, I saw a very interesting column by Andre Picard of the Globe and Mail, and he said, basically, you, you know, why are you blaming these people? Uh, the whole messaging has not been handled well. And they're, you know, they're, it's no surprise that young people think they're immune. And uh, the bigger problems are delays with, with testing and contact tracing. Not Nonsense. There's absolutely no excuse for that. I think, you know, there might have been some confusion with respect to, you know, parks being opened uh, and and being allowed to, to, but there's never been a confusion with any government official or leader or health public or public health official with respect to social distancing. I think the only thing that was left to do, and I think they're thinking about doing now, is put painting white circles 
uh, at the parks to to actually you know to actually demonstrate to people where they should be lying down or sitting down or having a picnic, but but there was no absolutely no um, mixed message. People people that did that you know did it on their own. It was wrong. It set us back uh, and it sent a bad message. And I think what it's going to do is it's going to actually delay some of the some of the reopening because of it. I think. Karen, well, I have a bit of a different different view. I, I mean, I, I think that. Um, the situation in, in Trinity Bellwood was exasperated by the fact that people can drink alcohol in the park. And so I think that if they made a change to that, it could help with the crowds. But um, They'd I have to enforce think... that, too. I mean, what, what yeah. I gather uh, from friends and uh, colleagues here is that it's actually a destination park yeah. for younger people, and even if they don't live anywhere near here and they drink. And if you change the rule, uh, you'd have to enforce it, boy. Yeah, but, and I think that no one went to the park with the intention of violating any um, public health restriction. They went to the park to enjoy the outdoors and, and share a social beverage at a social distance. It was just so many people went there. Yeah. And so, you know, I think that part of, um, I, I read his article as well, Andre Picard, I think part of what we now need to do is make more spaces available because in a more typical summer, there would be more places for people to go. So there wouldn't necessarily be the congregation that we saw at one park. So while it may have set us back, I hope it didn't, I think there has to also be an acknowledgement that it's getting hot and we need to open cooling centers and we need to open spaces for people to go to. And if we um, do some of that with some controls in place, then we um, remove some of that uh, for, for people to just make their own rules. Okay. Uh, guys, I have to wrap, wrap things up, uh, because I've got the Attorney General of Ontario waiting on the line. Oh. I, I bet, uh, Bellwoods Gate doesn't go away so fast. And I'll talk to you all next week. Thank you so much. John Capobianco, Karen Stintz, and Charles Bird. Thanks, Libby. Thanks, Libby. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.